13 is where we're going to be. So turn there in your Bibles. Acts 13. I'll give you a clue. It comes after Acts 12, before Acts 14. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, um, I want to, I want to encourage you guys this morning to be a part of something that cannot fail. I want to invite you guys to be a part of something that will succeed in ways beyond our wildest imagination. And I think deep in the heart of every single human being, we want, we want to do that. We want to be a part of something that's going to be successful and perhaps outlive us and, and make a difference in time and eternity. And there's only one thing that I know that we can participate in that will not fail, and that is being a part of the kingdom of Christ. Amen? Uh, it broke my heart the other day when I was watching the news. So uh, if you guys don't know Mark Zuckerberg who um, this in one week with Meta lost $100 billion. I don't know if you guys heard that. $100 billion in one week. I mean, that happens over a period of a year in my life, but one week, just kidding. But here's what, here's what, here's what really broke my heart. There's a guy named Jim Cramer, who's an investing guru, has a show called Mad Money, he literally on air broke down in tears because of advice he had given to others, including himself, to invest in Meta. And I'm sitting here and I'm watching this happen and I'm going, the idols of our day are falling and failing us. And then I go, but rejoice, O my soul, because thank goodness my hope is not based on some stock in meta or whatever, fill in the blank. My hope is vested in a kingdom that will reign forever. If you have Jesus, you cannot lose. But if you don't, you will lose, even though it may appear you're winning right now. I want you and I to continue to be sober-minded in what we exhaust and spend our, our resources on, our time, our treasures, our talents. I don't want us to have a moment like Jim Cramer had globally of breaking down realizing that I have lost a lot of money investing in something that is not a sure thing. You and I gamble all the time anytime we try to operate our lives apart from Jesus. And this morning, I want to avoid a lot of headache and heartache. I don't want you, at the end of your life, breaking down because you've invested your life in the wrong thing. The Word of God is the only thing that will last forever, apart from the souls of men and women. And the relationship between those two things will, will amount to eternal joy or e eternal misery. I want you to avoid investing in, in the wrong things, and I want you to be a partaker, a participant in something that will not fail. You can have confidence and assurance today in something that will ultimately succeed. Even Christ himself has said, 
I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Woo! There's our confidence. There's our assurance. I don't look at my performance. My performance is like this in life. How about you? Can you relate with the roller coaster of just being like, I obey God, I disobey God. I obey God, I disobey God. That's, that's normal. But when you have Jesus, he doesn't love you and evaluate your life based upon your performance. He evaluates and looks at your life based upon his promise that he has got you and he will not let anything stand between you and him and he will carry you into eternity no, how, no matter how imperfect your practice of faith is. Because the kingdom of hell will not stand against the work of Christ. Woo! But I want you to adopt a mentality this morning. Acts 13, you're going to see something really, really marvelous here. You're going to see a, a spirit-directed group of people on mission for God. And, 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 I, and I'm coming back to, to mission, missional, missio day. Let me, for refresher, remind you the name of our community, missio day. It's neither, it's neither Spanish nor a misspelling of, of didn't you mean to say something else? It's Latin. I don't know why I like the phrase, why I chose Latin. I don't know. It's a conversation starter. Missio Dei means God who is on mission. And just like God sent the Son to be on mission to save you and I, he now turns to the disciples, you and me, and says, you now go and take the message. So we, as believers, part of our DNA spiritually is to be on mission with God. God is working. God is saving as we speak. Men and women, children are coming to know Jesus. They're coming to know Christ as we speak. And we get to be a participant in that. How blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. See, when you understand that you're a part of something bigger than yourself and something that's going to last for eternity, it, it does something for you. It forces you to reevaluate what we're living for. I am not here to say your job isn't important. I'm not here to tell you that your neighborhood and your neighborhoods and all the things you're involved in are not important. Politics, sports, whatever. But when those things are invested so much into and you neglect the one thing that God has called you to participate in, his kingdom work, you will fail. You will fall short. You will get into the kingdom, but boy, it's going to be by the skin of your teeth. And you will have nothing to show for your investments for the kingdom. Because why? You spent your time involved in all sorts of things that didn't matter in time and eternity and for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm here to warn us. You may be a Christian, but if you neglect the calling upon your lives to be salt and light and to enter the darkness with the light of Christ and the hope of the gospel, and you think filling your life with other stuff is going is to is be okay, it's not. Spurgeon. Well, you, you, you know it's heavy when Spurgeon comes to the table. Every Christian is a missionary. If not, they're an imposter. We come back to the mission. What You are on mission. Christ has saved you to be on mission. Everywhere you go is a mission because you're a missionary. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. And everywhere you go, you ought to be ready and willing and open and receptive and discerning to share the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect of the 
fact that Christ is Lord. Because if not, you're falling short. I fall short. You fall short. But there's nothing like a little halftime, little powwow together like this to say, let's remember what we're involved in. Let's get back out there and let's, let's do this thing for the glory of God. Amen, church? Acts 13. Turn there in your Bibles if you were, would. We're going to look at verses 4 through 12. We're going to see that there is this work of the Spirit. And it's mysterious. And it's exciting. But what is even more, more important is that whatever the Spirit is doing, it will not fail. Nothing can stand in the way of God and what He wants to do. Nothing can stand in His way. There's a certain, like, there's a certain fire that I, I feel when I think about that. That there's nothing that can stand in the way of the work and will of God in our world. And, and, and this morning we're going to see a, a pattern that's true in Acts 13, but it's true in our world today. And, and it goes like this. There are opportunities that you will have to share the gospel who are, with people who are open to that gospel. But by sharing the gospel, that doesn't mean it's not going to come without opposition. But ultimately the gospel will prevail because it's an overcoming truth. So those are the four points. If, I, if you're paying attention, I just gave them to you. In case you fall asleep midway through the sermon, we have opportunities, there's openness, there are, there's opposition, and there's an overcoming. And we'll, we'll go back to that. So thanks, Doug, for, for flipping through those real, real quick. But you, you see a snapshot of what's going to happen in the book of Acts. This is a snapshot of what happens in our lives. We ought to be people who seek out opportunities, find people who are open, realize with sober-mindedness there's going to be opposition, but at the end of the day, the gospel overcomes. And with this, hopefully there's that fire that's lit in us to, to, to st storm hell with a squirt gun, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Acts 13. Turn there in your Bibles if you would. Let's read the, the verses. Let's start at verse 1. As far as recap from last week, there were in Antioch in the church prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, Saul, and they're just doing the work of, of Jesus in Antioch. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit says, it is time to go out and fulfill the work of reaching the nations with the gospel. So the Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to do. And then they fast, they pray, they laid hands on them. So it wasn't just this knee-jerk reaction. They really wanted to make sure they were being Spirit-led in this. And the Spirit's movement is written all over this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John there as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician whose name was David Blaine. No, just kidding. Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. And he was with the, the governor of the island, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. And Elymas, the magician, for that was his name translated, 
was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon Elymas the magician and says, You who are full of all deceit and fraud and son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, or righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. Woo, what a scene we got here. This is Acts 1.8. God's plan being fulfilled. First, first thing we need to, to recognize is this, that there is op, there's always going to be opportunities for the gospel. We live in a world that consists of men and women hungry for, for truth, for meaning, for significance, for, for purpose, for, for value. What, whatever you may, may label it, there are always opportunities for the gospel. So we see in Acts 13, the Spirit has a work for Barnabas and Saul. They don't know what the work is, but they're just saying, we're going we're gonna to step, step forward in faith. And remember last week we talked about how oftentimes God doesn't show us the whole plan. He just says, take the first step. And when you take the first step, I'll show you the second step. But what I'm looking for first is obedience. I'm not going to show you the whole plan, but as you walk in obedience, I will continue to reveal the plan to you. That's what we see going on here, and I'm going to talk about that. So they take the first step because the Spirit is saying there are opportunities. What Paul, uh, Saul and Barnabas don't know is that there's a dude named Sergius Paulus on this island called Cyprus who needs to hear the gospel. He's 200 plus miles away, but isn't it amazing that when God sees an individual who needs to hear the gospel, he will orchestrate people hundreds of miles away to get that gospel to them. This is amazing. And Saul and Barnabas step out in faith, and they, and they board a ship. Because all they know at this point is that God is calling us. So they go, well, let's, let's go ahead and board a ship. Here's the second step in walking in obedience to God. So the first is just taking that first step, start moving. The second step is the opportunities that are best for us in sharing the gospel are the opportunities God already has us involved in. What do I mean by that? Why did they choose Cyprus to go to? Because this is where Barnabas is from. This is his island. And he said, well, let's go to Let's go to Cyprus. I know people there. There's synagogues there. There's some, there's some Christians there. Let's go see what God's doing on Cyprus. Here's what I love. They don't know what's going on in Cyprus. They only go to that which they're already familiar with. Your opportunities, ladies and gentlemen, to share the gospel will begin with the relationships you already have. Here's the good news. God isn't saying, hey, you know what? Rachel, you need to go to Bahrain. She's like, why Bahrain? He's probably not calling you to Bahrain. That's the good news. So take a deep breath. Right? We, we fear God wants to take us 
to some mysterious place that we, we know nothing about or to connect with some weird person that we don't even know. Here's the good news. He's probably not calling you to that weird person or that strange place. But here's what God is calling you to. The people that are already in your lives that need Jesus. Amen, church? So start praying for those people. Start making a list, and it could be your three most wanted. It could be your five most wanted. Start by praying for the people God already has you in relationship with. This is going to be the most natural thing in bringing the gospel to the world that God has you involved in. Whether you, you race cars or you play pickleball or you play poker or whatever it is, go to the environments that God already has you involved in and start praying with your spiritual antenna up. That's the second step. First step is just start walking in obedience and then start going to those places that are going to have opportunities for you to share. So verse 4, they're sent out by the Spirit, and they go down to Seleucia, which is the port right there on modern-day Syria, and from there they sail to Cyprus. So this is about a 60, 70-mile journey, and on a clear day you can stand on the coast of Syria and see Cyprus. Barnabas looks at Saul and says, Let's go there, not knowing what's going on in Cyprus. But Barnabas is familiar with the culture. Let me say something I've been thinking about this week. We need to prioritize God's agenda. You and I need to shelve what we want and ultimately ask, what does God want of us? No one is immune to this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not just for the paid clergy. This is not just for, you know, your pastor. This is for every believer in Christ. We need to prioritize God's agenda. And I read this statement. I want to share it with you, and I like this. We need to remember that life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. Let me say it again. We need to remember that life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. And I think it really connects with this. Just saying every day, Lord, I'm looking for opportunities. I'm going to be open to opportunities. Did you know we still live in a world, believe it or not, with all of our technological advances, where there are close to 3 billion people who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ in a meaningful way? Close to 3 billion people. That is about 40% of the world's population. Now again... There are unreached people groups. There are, there, there are people groups that live in, in Asia and Africa. And, and you know what? If God's prompting your heart to go to those places, praise God, right? But let's begin with our own neighborhoods, our own communities, our own households. Because there are still people who even live in our vicinity who have never heard of Jesus. 
And we're almost back to like an, an, an early Acts type culture as a church where there's been this oversaturation of the gospel for decades and decades. Now we're back to Acts where there are people who are American citizens who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are opportunities that are abounding for you to do this. Woohoo! What do those opportunities look like? Point number two. It, it usually needs to start with someone who's got an openness to the gospel. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Stop spinning your wheels with people who are apathetic, cold, indifferent. Not saying you don't love them, not saying you don't pray for them, but sometimes aren't we guilty for spending way too much time on people that just have no interest in the things of God. It's okay to move past those people to the people who are going to be more open. Because Barnabas and Saul are going to Cyprus, and there's a dude who's the governor, Sergius Paulus, who wants to hear the gospel. This is where the spiritual antenna go up, right? Look at verse 5. So when they reach Salamis, which is on the eastern part of the island, they began proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had their John as their intern or their, their helper. This is going to be part and parcel of what Saul and Barnabas do when they go to a new location or, or they're just seeking to do the work of God. They go to the synagogue first. Why? Because these two men were Jews. As a matter of fact, I think a verse to keep in mind when we look at the, the account of Acts is, is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You remember what Paul writes to the Romans? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So Paul's M.O. is to find the local synagogue because these are God-fearing people who would fam have familiarity with the Old Testament, and he would go to seek a connection. And what's amazing is on the island of Cyprus, we don't know how they do when they, when they go across the island because look at verse 6. And when they had gone through the whole island, so what's amazing is maybe they didn't get a reception for the gospel the entire way across the island until they get to the western side. Isn't it interesting to think that maybe Paul wasn't as successful as we make him out to be? Can I get an amen from somebody? Like, we think Paul, every person he met must have just prayed the prayer and came to know Jesus. This is the good news, that your ability to share the gospel is not connected to that person's ability to receive the gospel. Can we fail when it comes to the work of God, uh, at least in our perspective? Yeah, because we walk away from so many conversations. We're like, well, that didn't go the way I thought it would go. And we feel like a failure. Here's the good news. You do not have the power to save anybody. But God does. He just says, I want you to be a ready, willing, available, faithful servant who's going to share. Let me do the internal work. But what's amazing is we go from one verse to the next and they go across the entire island and there's no mention of how fruitful their ministry's been. Probably because they came across people who were not open. But all of a sudden they go to Paphos. Look at verse 5. And there's a guy there, a magician, whose name is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, and he works for the governor. His name is Sergius Paulus. 
and he summoned, he called for Barnabas and Saul to come and share the word of God with him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I wish everything was as easy as this. I wish your neighbor was like, hey, can you come over? I really want to hear about Jesus today. I wish your coworker was like, hey, I hear you're a God-fearing person. I just need to hear the good news. Will you share that with me today? We wish it was all gift-wrapped and bow-tied and pretty like that. Which means, though, it's not to say that people don't want to hear. We just have to learn how to pick up on what they're talking about, what they're hungry for, what are they seeking. Because you're already in relationship with people who, want to, who need to hear about Jesus. You need to look for creative ways to insert the, the topic in somehow, some way. Because there are people that are open. You need to move past those people that have a complete indifference for the gospel and find the people that are somewhat open or receptive to having some sort of dialogue. Amen, church? So, here they are. They go across the entire island. They go to Paphos. There's this governor, and he wants to hear the gospel. He has by his side a magician who is a Jew... And this is an interesting relationship because most Roman authorities kept on the side someone who would practice divination or sorcery or witchcraft because somehow that magician, that sorcerer would reveal things about the future or things that were unknown to, to bring that Roman authority some sort of comfort or, or some sort of direction. The reason... Paulus, Sergius Paulus, calls for Barnabas and, and Saul. He's heard all the philosophies. He's heard all about the religions. He's heard everything that the magician has to share with him. He's still hungry for something more. Here's, here's what's beauti the beautiful thing about the openness of the gospel, uh, to the gospel that people have, is that they have embraced so much of what the world offers, and they still are hungry. And you know what you bring to the table? Jesus. And I don't know if this slogan's already taken, but Jesus always satisfies. Is that, is that good or what? We need to, now that Halloween's right around the corner, right? Snickers, you know, that might satisfy for a moment. Jesus satisfies forever. Bumper sticker time. Here we go. See, Sergius Paulus has position. He has power. He has fortune. He has fame. He has recognition. He has a reputation. He has everything that people would want in this world if they think this is what success looks like. But he calls for these unknown dudes. He doesn't know Saul and Barnabas. These guys are nobodies in the Roman world. And yet God calls them to go to this island and he wants to hear, the, the governor wants to hear the word of God. Somehow word got to the, the, the governor and said, there's these guys here and they've got a message you've never heard before. He says, bring them to me. And here's what I love. Saul and Barnabas didn't appear the, before the governor and tell him some jokes or some stories or do some magic tricks like Elemas did. But what did they do? They preached the word of God. Can you write down that phrase, the word of God? Because here, ladies and gentlemen, is your only resource in sharing the good news. Don't, don't give someone the best-selling book by the newest best-selling Christian author. Don't turn someone on to a YouTube channel or a podcast. Bring to them the word. There is no substitute for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, there are complementary resources out there, but there's no substitute for the message that Christ has been crucified, buried, and risen again on the third day. There's no substitute for the gospel truth that says it is the power of God unto salvation, right? The, the dynamite of God to change anybody's life to take away our sins, to remove our unrighteousness and give us righteousness and clothe us in that righteousness as a gift. There is no substitute for that gospel truth. Don't you dare give someone a book like, hey, 40 days, your marriage is going to be better and think they're going to come to know Jesus. Don't give them a book, you know, oh, you need to check out the CD. Oh, the music is so, it just slayed me so much. And, and it's a substitute for them hearing the gospel. There's no substitute for the word of God, and that means for our church, and that means for our small group gatherings. I got a compliment the other day, and again, I took it as a compliment, and I'll take as many compliments as I can get, right? Like, I'm, someone said, like, when it comes to the Bible, they're like, my pastor is the most Bible-centered person I've ever experienced. And I go, I like that. That's awesome. Why? Because I know that my wisdom will derail you. Amen? My wisdom is going to destroy you. But God's wisdom? It's going to be good for what you, you need. Because there's no other words in this world that are the dynamite of God to change your life. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to joyfully wreck people's lives. Because the gospel that is power, that's dynamite. That's the word dynamite. It will blow you up. But at the end, you're happy. It blew you up. So these guys go and they share the word of God with the governor. Let me, let me prepare you for, for people who are going to be open. I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 5 real quick. Hebrews chapter 5, there's three things here, and this is little side notes, and, you're, and you need to write these down. Romans 5 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So the writer of Hebrews says, There should be a maturity in you that I don't see, you need milk, not solid food, for anyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So the writer of Hebrews says you guys should be more mature than you really are. And you need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. But look at this, the last part. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Three things. I, wanna, I want you to think about the openness that people have to the gospel and how you could be the person to give that, that person a hearing of the gospel. Three things that are going to help you do this. Number one, solid food. You will not be used by God with those who are open to the gospel if you yourselves don't embrace a diet of solid food. So you, you need to know your stuff. Now, you don't need to be seminary trained, and you don't need to have a library that has thousands of books. You just need to know the elementary principles of the gospel. 
Matter of fact, if you want to look at 1 Corinthians 15 later, right? Paul sums up the elementary principles of the gospel. We preach Christ, who has been crucified, buried, and risen again. Right? That Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. You who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus for, for rest, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Right? There's one mediator between God and man. That's the, the, the man, Je- Jesus Christ, right? First um, Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Just know some b- basic truths, right? Solid food. And with that solid food, because you don't need to be drinking the milk anymore. You need to be beyond that. If you're, if you're at least two or three years old in Jesus, you need to be beyond the milk. You need to be at the spa- steak and potatoes. It would, it would be a disgusting thing to see a grown man at a park breastfeeding off his mom. I know that's shocking, and it should be. We move beyond this. Amen? Any adult that doesn't know how to cut a, a, a steak and eat some potatoes and some green beans, green beans, <laughs> any person that is there, that's an adult of age and doesn't know how to eat solid food is a disgusting sight. You need to have a diet of solid food. You need to be growing yourself. And as you're growing, you're going to be given opportunities with people who are open, which brings us to our second thing. Your senses will be trained. Is that not what it said in Hebrews chapter 5? That you will have this ability to discern moments. What do I share? How do I share? What do I share? Who am I sharing with, right? There's this discernment that happens that is only birthed by the Spirit. You cannot control it. It's connected with the solid food diet that you're taking in, and all of a sudden now you have this ability to connect. Which leads to our third point, which is you're speaking truth. So there's your diet, there's someone's situation, and you're bringing God's truth to bear on that moment. This is how openness to the gospel works, right? You being filled with the truth. Go forward and have your senses trained. You're sober-minded. You're clear-headed. You're spirit-directed. You're spirit-prompted. And your spiritual antenna connect you with people who are hurting, who are hungry. And you bring God's truth to bear on whatever the circumstance may need. These guys... Go to a governor and they share Jesus with the governor. And I'm sure at the moment they're going, this guy has everything. But the one thing he lacks is the greatest thing he needs, and that's Jesus. History tells us that this man came to know Jesus. And not only him, his household. If you go to the island of Cyprus today, there's an inscription that says Sergius Paulus came to know Christ as well as his entire household. This is amazing. Right? There's an opportunity. Saul and Barmas walk in the spirit. They find a man open. They share. He's saved. 
But don't think it's that easy. Point number three, there's opposition. Elemas, son of Jesus, or so his name said. Look at verse six again. They've gone through the whole island. They go to Paphos. They find a magician. So they meet two guys. One's Jewish, one's Gentile. One's a, one's a magician who is a, who's an expert in sorcery and the occult and, and magic. And then there's this governor who's intelligent, but he doesn't have Jesus, but he's hungry to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the magician, was opposing them. I wonder what that looked like. I wonder if, like, every time they mentioned Jesus, Elemas, you know, maybe he barked or he threw a rock and said, what's that over there? Or did something, right? He did something to distract Sergius from hearing the truth. And Saul says to him, who is now known as Paul, verse 9, there's a change. Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul was his Greek name. Usually people had two names that they traveled and they could use. So now in the book of Acts, he'll now no longer be called Saul, he'll now be called Paul because his ministry is to the, the Greeks. So he's now called Paul. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he fixes his gaze upon Elemas. And obviously not taking a script from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People book, says this to him. You are full of all deceit and fraud. You are a son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Wow. I felt like saying that to people at times, and I thought, no, I need to love them. It's interesting because he, he totally digs on the guy's name, right? His name is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. You're not a son of Jesus. You're a son of the devil. You're Bar-Satan. Wow. The, what this illustrates for us is exactly what Jesus talked about when it came to the parable of the sow, sowing of the, uh, the, the, the wheat and the tares, right? Anytime God works, Satan does a counterfeit work. There's a Dutch theologian by the name of Abraham Kuyper, who I really like. He said, every inch of the universe is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. But you must remember that there's not one square inch of the universe that God does not declare over it. Mine! But that doesn't mean the enemy goes without a fight. There's always going to be opposition to the gospel. Here is a man who is standing in the way of what God wants to do. He is a Jewish man. He is familiar with Scripture. But he has added now to his faith, which I would tell you is a dead faith, he's added these occult, magic, sorcery-type practices. And, and this is what people do. When they embrace a, a religion... He's Jewish, and it becomes like this legalistic, lifeless routine. It's easy to add other things to make that religion more exciting. He didn't know the God of his faith. He only knew the emptiness of ritual. So he becomes this expert in divination and, and sorcery and is now hired on by the governor to be his, his right-hand guy. And now what he's teaching is clearly contrary to what Jesus taught. He's opposing the message of Christ that Saul and Barnabas are bringing to the table. See, this guy is not interested in real salvation. He's interested in spiritual perversion. 
And unless we think that we're immune to this, we need to, we need to talk about this. So we, let's talk about this, the power of perversion and the power of conversion. So it's interesting that he really cites Isaiah 40, Paul does, when it comes to his confrontation. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's a rebuke. Would you call that a rebuke of what Paul says to Elimus? Sometimes people need to be rebuked. That doesn't mean you don't love them. That doesn't mean you don't, don't like them. I remember two guys walking into to, uh, our last ministry one time. And it was, it was clearly odd. These guys come in. They, don't, they look like they're up to, to no good. And they sit down. And something in me just said, those dudes aren't right. And so I'm, I'm preaching a message, but I'm also watching these guys, which tells you I can multitask. And as soon as the message was done, the service was done, these two guys start talking to people, and I overhear what they're talking, and they're from a local cult group who deny Jesus as Lord. They deny salvation by grace alone. And I walked up, and I said, excuse me, I hear what you guys are teaching. That's not what we teach here. That's not consistent with the word of God. You're not welcome here. Leave. And I think everyone is sitting around going, what is going on? Like, Pastor Scott's going to start getting, he's going to get scrappy with these guys. But when it comes to forces that are intensely antagonistic to the gospel, you need to speak that firmly and that confidently. Now, don't walk out of here and say, I can go into every situation, every conversation with somebody and speak like that. No, that's not true. That's not what I'm saying. But when there's a clear attack on the gospel, if I'm sharing something and these guys are now sowing seeds of the opposite, you and I have a responsibility to nip that in the bud. Woo! There's a fierce fire that comes out. Because the holy things of God should not be trampled upon like that by sinful people. It's called perversion. They want to bring their ideology and their faith, which is clearly counter-Christ, anti-Christ. They are really anti-Christ. Anti-Christ means one who opposes Christ. These men were anti-Christ. Elemis is anti-Christ. He's perverting the gospel. And Paul cites Isaiah 40. Look at Isaiah 40, which is interesting because there's the, anyone who heard what Paul said at this moment would understand what's, what's going on. So Isaiah says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know who spoke this in the New Testament? John the Baptist. Because the culture understood when a royal dignitary came to your town, you went, and made out, you went and made sure that the way into your city, your village, your town was as level, was as clean, was as straight, debris-free as possible because you wanted to make the entrance for that king one of splendor and glory, not one with obstacles. And Paul says to this magician, you are being an obstacle for this man coming to know the faith that you and your ancestors should know. But you're standing in the way. Wow. What kind of roads are you upgrading so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Or are you throwing rocks and debris and garbage and preventing them? Because I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it in love. Maybe some of you have embraced a gospel that is perverted rather than a gospel that truly converts. Because you know what magic is? It is basically our attempt to manipulate God to produce a desired outcome. That's what magic is. I mean, let's be honest. Holiday season's coming up. How many of you have prayed this prayer as you've circled the mall parking lot? Lord, if you give me a rock star parking space, I will serve you the rest of my life. And those who are laughing have prayed that prayer. We have reduced God to these little magic formulas. Remember back in the day, the prayer of Jabez? That is kind of Christian perversion. Now, if you read the prayer of Jabez, that doesn't mean you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But anytime you, you think God is a transactional God, if I, got, if I send this ministry $10, God's promised me to bless me tenfold. That's called Christian perversion. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not help those who help themselves. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. Think about all the little things. I call it voodoo Christianity. It's the little things we have allowed to creep into our faith, and it is not biblical at all. All it takes is a little bit of falsehood to ruin the gospel. The gospel will prevail, though. And here's the power of conversion. The Egyptian wise men, remember with Moses, counterfeited everything Moses did, but ultimately at the end of the day, God was victorious. The Babylonians, the Persian empires, right, with Daniel, we don't know how to interpret this dream. Well, bring me someone who can, right? Those magicians, those interpretive dreams fell short, but God's man on the scene did it. So that God could get the glory, he could be exalted, and men and women could come to know him as Savior. God will always prevail. But that doesn't mean people are always going to be in agreement with it. We will face opposition. This man opposed the gospel, I believe, because it was a threat to his livelihood and his prestige. I mean, if you think about why people are opposed to the gospel in your life, write down three words. They oppose it because of pride, they oppose it because of power, and they oppose it because of possessions. I mean, really, people oppose the gospel. Why? Pride. They don't want to admit they're wrong. And the older you get, the harder it is. But God can break down proud hearts. Amen? How about power? People don't want to give up control over their lives and they want to make their decisions autonomously and not be accountable to a God who is going to dictate how they live. But God can break through the heart of that wants power. How about possessions? People don't want to give up their idols. And yet we live in a culture where those idols are, are being destroyed around us. And they're crying and they're hungry for something more meaningful. The gospel confronts things like these, and when it does, it's not, people don't, don't take it lightly. Opposition will ensue, and unbelief kicks into overdrive, and it gets nasty. But I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Here's the power of conversion, ladies and gentlemen. 
that here we have a man, verse 12, right, that says, he believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. This is the first recorded presentation of the word of God in, a Roman, in the Roman world, and it would be a cr- crucial and clear distinction being made between what is orthodox Christianity and perverted spiritualism that was prevalent in the empire. We live in a culture that is no different. I see this syncretistic belief of Christianity with this magic voodoo stuff, and I want to be the guy that says it is Jesus and Jesus only. It is salvation by grace alone, and there's nothing else you bring to the table. And the resurrection of Christ is something that you need to embrace. Think about that. Deity of Christ, salvation by grace alone, resurrection of Jesus. Usually, spiritual perversion happens when you negate either one or all three of those things. But Paul and Barnabas are going to make the road straight. We're not going to complicate this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's clear out all the other garbage. Right? Let's clear out all the other garbage. And sometimes a severe note needs to be said. Because eternal life is serious business. Would you agree with that? There are men and women going to hell without a Savior, and we're afraid to share the truth with them. Why? Lest they don't like us. Paul understands that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if Sergius Paulus doesn't bow his knee to this living King of kings and Lord of lords, he will be damned forever. When you understand the seriousness of eternity, perhaps your words will become more severe, but they will be severely loving. Paul challenges us to speak boldly in our tolerant postmodern world. Tolerant doesn't mean you're a butt for Jesus. Tolerance, just, tolerance means you're going to share grace and truth with gentleness and respect exalting Christ and Christ alone. And the good news at the end of the day is point number four, the overcoming of the gospel. This is why I know when I get up here and I share the word with you, it's, it's the spirit that takes over. I, there's times I, I want to sweat my guts out so you can come to know Jesus or pursue Jesus, but then God says, Scott, calm down a little bit. This is not on your power to be clever or your power to be eloquent or your power to be, um, you know, debative or confrontational or, you know, whatever. You need to trust the Word to do what the Word does. Overcoming of the gospel. Look at, look at half. So, verse 11. A hand of the Lord's upon you. You will be blind. So, What's amazing is Paul calls down blindness, physical blindness, to fall upon this man. And it's really an indication of a deeper blindness. That's a spiritual blindness that exists within him. And that power to make him blind, whereas now he was the one who was leading everybody in his deceit and fraudulent teaching, he now is looking for someone to lead him. 
Now, I want you to know something that there's something here. The powerful, so there's two points we'll close with. Powerful blindness and confirmation and powerful belief and conviction. What Paul did with Elymas is a confirmation that Paul and Barnabas are of God. To cast down this blindness. Now, this man, Elymas, according to Jewish law, if he practiced magic, you know what his, his indictment should have been? De- the death penalty. But God is merciful. And who is it that calls down blindness upon this man? One who's been blind himself. Right? One who's been blind himself. And in that blindness, he came to know Jesus. So now Paul, even though he has this fierce fire, he's showing incredible divine mercy. May this blindness bring you to understand the message that we are bringing and that is Christ alone saves. So it's confirmation that this man is in this spiritual blindness, and we don't know what happens. But it is for a time, and when people live in blindness, when, when they live in darkness, we pray it is for a time that in their darkness that they would see the light, and the light that matters is the light of Christ. But while that is confirmation, what happens to Sergius Paulus is conviction. And this is powerful belief. Notice what verse 12 says, and we can't get away from this. Sergius Paulus is impressed with the man getting, going blind, but he's amazed at the gospel. I don't want us to be a church that's amazed in the miracles and merely impressed by the gospel. Miracles do not bring conviction. The gospel brings conviction. And all God's people said, Yes! For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings about conviction to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Wow. Do we really grasp this truth at all, you guys? Are we going about with our own power thinking we can convert people and convict people and change people? Or are we really allowing the word, which is the dynamite of God, to lay hold of someone's heart and blow their lives to pieces and them at the end rejoicing because their lives have been blown up by God's truth. That's what dynamite does. That's what the word does. I want us to be faithful. Not to embrace magic and miracles, but I want us to be faithful to embrace the gospel. That Christ has come to give his life as a ransom for many and all who would be found in him no longer experience condemnation, but now have eternal life and eternal joy because of his sacrificial death on our behalf. And that he will reign forever, and we, along with the angelic host, will sing around the throne forever, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. To him belongs honor and glory and power forever. And all God's people said, Woo! I think we did a little bit of preaching today. I think we did. You are now going forth as missionaries. You are now going forth as ambassadors.
and I am praying for you. Let's stand, let's pray. Lord, what a, what a time this has been together to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be, to be challenged, to worship, to, to take inventory of, of who you are and what you've done. I pray as we've reflected it, it, it's caused our hearts to be humbled once again that we would be loved like we are by you, God. That you have given us the gift of eternal life. And I pray that, Lord, in concert with the word that has been shared, that that eternal life is not to be hoarded, hoarded it is to be shared. That we now enter the world in which you've placed us in to be salt and to be light and to look for opportunities to share with people who are starving and thirsty and hungry without you. Lord, allow us to be the men and women who understand and, and humble that it is not our cleverness of speech, our eloquence, or how, how imaginative we can be in, in, in sharing the God. It's just being vehicles of just sharing the truth that we know and letting you step in and do the, the heart work. Lord, so find us faithful to seek out those people and to be bold and courageous and yet loving and truthful in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ that Jesus saves. Be glorified.